0: You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's good to be back in the sense of uh, preaching a homily again. It's been a long time since I've had a Sunday homily. Uh, Last week, of course, we had Father Wentz and two weeks before that, our deacons. And so it's been almost a month. And where we left off last time was with the thought of a a lifeguard, an image of a lifeguard. We'll get to that in just a minute because I want to expound on that tonight in the sense of our discipleship. Today we're going to talk about discipleship again and what is the cost of discipleship. But Father Wentz last week uh, did a wonderful job of maybe illustrating uh, the point of today and that is uh, that the world's not going to love us. The world's not going to love us necessarily. and. In his testimony, wonderful testimony, he spoke of the struggles that they have uh, in Nigeria where the priests who go out and evangelize and other missionaries with them literally take their lives into their own hands, literally do. And I wanted to thank you all for the generous response to him, the initial response, very generous. Uh, We'll have final numbers uh, later, Uh, but we can continue to take contributions until the end of the month. So if you want to, I know some people who maybe weren't here Uh, You can just drop it off at the office or put it in the offertory basket, uh, and just mark it that it's for Father Wentz, W-E-N-C-E, so that we know how to segregate it, and checks can be made to St. Pius, and we'll get them to him. But in his testimony, he talked about that struggle, and I'd like to focus on that this morning. And we left off last time, uh, three weeks ago, uh, with the thought of perseverance, and we hear that again today in our second reading, about persevering and running the race that lies before us. We'd say, well, if it's so easy, why would we have to persevere? Why would we have to persevere? And I had used the image of a lifeguard and myself as a child uh, last time, and I'm not expecting anybody to remember uh, a homily from three weeks ago. So we'll so we'll kind of go over that again. But basically, when I was about 10, I guess, uh, we were at the beach and uh, I, we're swimming like all the kids, we have seven kids. So dad gave us strict rules, age appropriate. And so my rule at 10 was I was not allowed to go past the water when it got to my belly button. That was the rule, easy rule to follow. And so we were playing and of course, what did I do? I went past my belly button and had a little laughter floaty or some kind of device and got in trouble, started drifting out. No matter how hard I tried, to get back in, I couldn't, and I just kept getting further and further and further. And to a 10-year-old, it doesn't take far to seem very, very far. And so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. And tried myself, tried to do it myself, couldn't do it, just kept on going back, some kind of tide was pushing me out. And so finally I thought, well, okay, well, Dad, is really going to be mad and I'm in trouble. And so I looked for the lifeguard, of course. And started waving to him, you know, I could could see him on the beach and say, hey, come help, come help. And he didn't see me at first and took a little while and two hands, I think, did it, got two hands. Of course, he was on his way, grabbed his little, uh, his floaty, so to speak, and headed out and came out and got me. And he talked about that image of lifeguard being, of course, Jesus and him coming to me to get me out of trouble. And so we talked about how a lifeguard has to work and what we have to do to help him work. And so I want to flesh out that beginning part because it goes to what we've been preaching about ever since the beginning of this liturgical year, our our dispositions. And so he comes and the first thing, are you okay, right? Fine. Get off the raft. Well, I have to help you in. You gotta get off the raft. I'll take care of it. I don't know, this raft has kept me pretty safe for a little while. Get off the raft. And so you trust and you get over your fear of getting off the raft. That's what we talked about last time specifically, got off the raft. Then he says, let me have you. Huh? Let me have you. And so thinking, okay, let me have you. And what he wants you to do is don't do anything. Listen to what I say, do what I say. Let me have you, do what I say. And we kind of do that with children all the time, like in a pool, come on, let me have you, let me have you, let me pick you up, let me take care of you, let me have you. And so he takes me and he says, don't do anything. Go limp. relax, be not afraid, so to speak, relax. And it's almost like you have died. You know, you just don't do anything. Just don't do anything. Let me help you. And then, of course, he takes you, and I don't know how they do it. I was trained as a lifeguard at one point, but usually there's an arm underneath, an arm up, keep your head above. And sometimes, and we talked about this last time, the, the, circ, the, the, the way back to the shore, the promised land, is not always the way we think about it. He knows where those tides were. You know, He knows how to go around them, all those things. If a wave comes, he knows to tell me, put your head down, not up, which is counterintuitive. Sometimes the journey is not the easiest, and we'll talk about that. Again, probably later in this year, but for now, we're looking at that dynamic. And that's why those three dispositions that we talked about are so important. Because in order for the lifeguard to do his job, I had to have those three dispositions. I had to know that I was in trouble and that I was helpless. I couldn't get myself out of it. I also had to know that I was not God. I was not the one who was gonna fix it. Someone else was, the lifeguard, Christ. I was ungodly. And then I recognized I'm a sinner. I went out past my belly button. I disobeyed and I needed to be obedient to him in order to get back to where I was safe. And so Jesus has that dynamic of us simply dying to self, dying to self, and then allowing him to give us life, to give us safety. Now, in looking at the cost of discipleship, We sometimes equate that with the worldly elements, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but the first cost of discipleship is ourselves. The first cost of discipleship is ourselves. We give ourselves to him. We make an act of the will to give ourselves over to him, to understand that we're helpless, to understand that we need him, to understand we're not God, and to let him give us the commands we need to listen to him, and to make it back to shore. And so we think of the cost of discipleship. Many people, like I said, equate it with worldly things. I didn't do this, and so the world punished me for that because I wasn't in tune with the common culture or whatever it may be. But the first cost is us, where we simply go limp, so to speak, and allow him to take us. Let me have you. That's what he wants. Christ wants us, and that's the first offering. And then after that, we've got to persevere in the journey, and that's where we get to our, our readings today. So we hear about Jeremiah uh, being stuck in the cistern. He couldn't get out of it himself. He needed not only God to help him, but he also needed God's helpers, you know, the three who went to help him get out of the cistern, or he would have died. And then our responsorial psalm, beautiful song, just, Lord, come to my aid. Lord, come to my aid. It should be uh, something that plays in the background of our mind all the time whenever We're living a life in Christ, is that the Lord is coming to our aid. He's helping us to get to safety. And then in our second reading today, the letter to the Hebrews, as I mentioned, that we have to run the race that lies before us. It is a journey and is not always easy. But for the sake of the joy that lay before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, despising its shame and taking his seat at the right of the throne of God. And so we have a savior who's walked that journey. Fully human, just like us, had all the same feelings, emotions, had all the same problems in many ways. And he did it, and so he's showing us how to do it. But on our end, we have to continue to think of our mission because if we look at our stations of the cross and we go through them, it's horrifying. I don't want that. I don't want that. We don't want suffering. And sometimes we equate suffering and the cross and they are not the same. They are not the same. Although obviously Jesus suffered and anybody who would be crucified would suffer. But we think of our spiritual crucifixion, dying to self, that goes back to the lifeguard. Let me have you. And then we have our mission. And that's really what the cross is is our mission. When we think of picking up our cross and carrying it daily, it is our mission in life. And sometimes that mission can be quite pleasant. Sometimes that mission can be a lot of fun. Sometimes maybe for a parent seeing a child overcome an obstacle and growing in their maturity, whether it be physical or whatever, emotional, you know, the child growing up, seeing victories, our victories, maybe in our ability to do certain things professionally or personally. But so sometimes our mission is quite pleasant and it's okay, but that's part of our cross. And every Good Friday, the only time of the year when we come together and we reverence the cross without a corpus, without a corpus. And the reason for that is that we not only acknowledge what Jesus did for us, but we reverence the mission that God has for us. And that we ourselves have to kick up that cross daily and move forward in this life despite the struggles, the trials, the sufferings, the other things, and trusting that he will bring us all to the promised land, all to safe harbor. And so our question in giving over our act of the will is are we going to accept the mission that Christ has given to us? Most explicitly stated in the circumstances in our lives that are outside our control. Things that happen where we look at them And we say, my gosh, what are you thinking? Or, I don't want this. But we know that something inside is telling us, this is where I need to be. And so we get to our reading, our gospel reading today, and we hear Jesus speaking in in ways that may be a bit confusing. But he says, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. Now, we have to think of fire in the image that we have both in the Old and the New Testament here. In the Old Testament, fire was used to represent the presence of God, and so we think of Exodus twice, Moses with the burning bush, and then we also think of the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the desert at night. So we think of fire as the presence of God there, and then also, what, at Pentecost, right? Tongues of fire over the heads of the apostles and the others. And so we think of fire in this case as representing the presence of God. And he says, of course, that there's a baptism with which I must be baptized and I'm having a hard time until it is accomplished. I'm I'm ready to get this over with. It's not gonna be easy. Then he says, do you think I've come to establish peace on earth? That's what you say. Well, yeah. Didn't you say to the apostles, peace, I leave you, peace, I give you? Repeat that every every mass right after the prayer. So what do you mean you didn't come to establish peace? And that's where we look at the world versus Christ, how we define peace. The world would define peace as an absence of tension or an absence of conflict or an absence of struggle. But Christians define peace differently. We define peace peace as the presence of Christ. And so no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what things we're being hit with, no matter how overwhelming our life may seem sometimes, we can be at peace knowing of the presence of Christ to help us in our mission, to pick up our cross and carry it every day, if we persevere. And so that's what Christ is talking about. And then he uses hyperbole about divisions and divisions within family For the Israelites, family was the most important thing, the highest good, the highest good. So what he's saying is, my presence is more important even than that. It is number one. And you think of the different levels that we talk about, what are your values? And it was very common, you know, we'd say God, family, country, right? But God always first, because if we have a right relationship with God, everything else gets ordered correctly. It is the source of our ability to serve our family first and our country second, the ability to do that. And so what Jesus here is saying is that I'm the priority, I'm number one, I'm the, God is the one with whom you need to make sure that you are in right relationship in your discipleship and in carrying your cross. And in that way, you will be able to persevere to the end, to run the race and to do it successfully. And so, as we think of today's world, and actually, there's gonna be a clash sometimes. The world will not agree with us. That happens, it's happened all throughout history. We kind of have a microcosm of that with St. Thomas More being in the news last week, right? Or probably this week as well, you know, but our values will remain the same and we will continue to move forward. But there's a disagreement on earthly teaching, worldly wisdom with a small w versus God's wisdom with the capital W. And so there will be these conflicts at times, and we have to be ready and willing to do it. There are costs of discipleship. Sometimes we can't take a job because of certain moral aspects to it, particularly in the medical field. I had to deal with people like that. You know, you have the world, um, obviously, with the priesthood. Uh, I, I kind of hesitate to tell this, but it is kind of funny, but when I was in the seminary, uh, our rector asked me if I would be willing to do an interview with a group out of Los Angeles that was doing a documentary on seminarians. I guess he thought I would be a good person to kind of explain a change from lawyer to priest. And I was very hesitant because I don't like doing interviews because they never end up with what I actually say in a way that's in proper context. I just Every time I do it, even if it makes me look good, it's not what I said, and that scares me because it could just as easily be something that's not good for me. But I got the phone call for the pre-interview from the group in Los Angeles, and I did it. And they kept on asking me about celibacy. I mean, just on and on and on about celibacy and it became clear to me that this was gonna be kind of a hit piece. So how could you give up the worldly value of having marriage and family? And that really wasn't even what they were asking, they were more uh, earthly about it. And so I'm sitting there listening and I'm trying to kind of direct them to conversion And, and I finally, I just said, look, you know, I've had to work with celibacy and figure it out and embrace it, and I have. I see spiritual paternity. I see the fruitfulness of a priestly life. I see those things now. I've learned about it. Said, so if you wanna know where the rubber hits the road, if you wanna know where the challenge is, it's that 99% pay cut. That's where it is. That's where it is. You know, that's reality. And so when the world is not gonna have the same values we do, and we shouldn't expect it, and it's okay, but we will have struggles, we'll have trials, and our cross, like I said, it's not always something that's negative, maybe something very pleasing and joyful, but the key is we remain with Christ in our presence. We give ourselves to him, the first cost, and then the other costs, they kind of come, and if we have ourselves given over to him, then we can bear the things to come in the training that he gives to us. Remember those predispositions. God loves us first and foremost. He is rescuing us. All we have to do is make sure that we let ourselves be had by Him. And if we do that, then discipleship can become very much a joy despite the struggles, trials, and sufferings. And so today we think of the cost of discipleship. It is number one. The most valuable thing that we have, we're giving over ourselves. We pray that we're able to pick up our cross daily and do it and renew, renew, the fact that Christ is the one who is leading and guiding us and that we have given ourselves to him and that we can then live in the peace that he gives, not that the world wants. And we can live in the way that will bring us to eternal life.